0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories. Today I had the opportunity to visit with Luke Bowmeister. He and his wife Becky currently live in Clifton, Arizona, and Luke has worked in several different states across the West, and he's worked for some pretty cool ranches. Um, I'm excited to share his story with you all, and I hope you enjoy. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Do you have any questions before we start? No. No, I guess not. I'll just try not to sound dumb. <laughs> All right, me too. Um, if you just want to go ahead and start off by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your childhood, then we can go from there.
1: Well, my name's Luke Baumeister. I was born and kind of raised in Watauga, South Dakota. Um, my dad was a was a horse breaker. Now they call them colt starters, but he, they were Bronx then. When, and us kids all grew up riding colts. There was 11 kids in my family and uh, we rode a lot of colts. That's That's what we did. And, uh,
0: was that to kind of help the family make a living or just entertainment? Yeah, or?
1: no, no, it was trying to make a living. We, we were, That's a, all of us rode colts one time or another after school. We'd ride a couple in the summer, you know, when the days were long. And in the winter about all we got done was after school was get them fed and led to water.
0: Was that something that um, your dad's dad had done in the past as well? or
1: My dad's dad was a homesteader, and he had cattle. He was probably more of a farmer, um, you know, farmed with teams. and So he was probably a better horseman than most people would think, <laughs> but he was a farmer. Okay. My dad was a... When he was a kid, he fell in with the wrong crowd and ended up being a cowboy, I guess.
0: <laughs> and you followed in his footprints? Yeah,
1: pretty much. You know, when I left home, I left home when I was 15, and I was burned out on riding Colts, and I went to Eastern Montana, and I thought I would get rich working in the oil field. Well,
0: at 15?
1: Yeah, but I I couldn't get a job. I didn't have a driver's license, and I couldn't get a job in the oil field, so the only job I could get was riding Colts. (laughs) Um, And found out that my dad was knowledgeable and a great guy. He was a great, to this day, I still think he's the best Bronc man I've ever seen in my life. I. And I've been been around some great ones, but, but you know, when you're a kid and you're at home, you're tired of being told what to do. I figured out riding colts and working cows was a lot funner when you wasn't around your dad, I guess. But so that's kind of how that ended up.
0: So that's what you went back to?
1: Yeah. And then I just kind of stuck with it, um. That's kind of what I did from then on.
0: Okay. How did you end up um, becoming more acquainted around cattle and around the ranching side of it rather than just breaking colts? Well,
1: so the job I got riding colts there in eastern Montana was for a guy. He ran. He had a lot of horses and he ran cows, and I... Uh, of course, I worked cows with my dad he day worked and he'd take us with him and it was good work for the colts but i uh in Eastern Montana and Western South Dakota, I hung around there, and you know they were not they were ranch jobs, so you did everything you we rode a lot, but you did you know you had to do everything and then when I was seventeen i went to california in 1985 um and it's kind of funny because i i rode a greyhound bus out there there's not very many cowboys anymore that put their saddle in bed on a greyhound bus but i remember coming across nevada and it was dark and i fell asleep on this greyhound bus it was in December. I'd left South Dakota. And I remember when I woke up, it was getting light, and here's all this green grass. And I just I couldn't imagine that much green grass in December, so I thought that was pretty neat. And that was kind of... I went to work for a guy named Jack Estelle, run a lot of yearlings, and... That was kind of my first real bona fide 100% cowboy job was was that job in California.
0: And what part of California was that at?
1: It was a place called Williams, which is about, I don't know, 50, 60 miles. It's kind of in between Red Bluff and Sacramento in the okay. valley. And then he had another ranch in Alturas which is the northeast part of California. So we went up there in the summer. and in, in the winter, you went to California. But uh, I wasn't there that long. It, about a year, and then I went to Nevada. went to work for outfits out there.
0: What would you say was the biggest thing that you learned when you went to California?
1: Oh, God, I... When I went there I couldn't throw a rope down a well and I I'm still not it. I can I can drop one down a well but I might not catch anything now but um we roped a lot there and you you roped and doctored a lot of cattle by yourself and and what really helped me is I didn't know a lot about roping but I could get around being raised riding colts I could get around pretty much whatever they put me on and and there you just you know you learned how to rope cattle and get them down and doctored by yourself which as a kid it was a struggle sometimes you know but but you just didn't you give up cuz you were
0: 17 is that how old you said you were when you were yeah. there okay.
1: I was 17 but there was other 17 year old kids there that were twice the hands I was they just um, you know, I just, I learned how to doctor cattle and rope, I guess, in California. That's cool.
0: What made you decide to leave there?
1: Oh, just, you know, cowboys like to move around, and so you work for, with different people, and they say, well, you ought to go to Elko, that's a neat place, and then at that time, it sure was, there was... A lot of big outfits to work for. I ended up going to the Spanish Ranch and worked for Bill Kane there, That's who is cool. a—he's a—was a phenomenal cowboy, and he—I learned a lot there.
0: How I many head of cows could they run there?
1: Well, Allisons altogether, there was two ranches there. There was Squaw Valley, well, they had seven different ranches, but their main cow deal was Squaw Valley and uh, the Spanish Ranch. And when I went there, between the two of them, they were running about 10,000 cows. So the Squaw Valley side ran a wagon spring and fall, and the Spanish Ranch side ran a wagon spring and fall. And you would... It was about a million acres, and you never seldom seen the Spanish ranch guys and vice versa. I worked on both sides at different times, and it was just a big, neat outfit, a lot of horses. So it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I've I've always been curious about that ranch because I've heard a lot about it, but I haven't really been able to ever talk to anybody about it, you know?
1: Well, in the old days it was or in old days it wasn't that long ago, but it was it was the real deal. What Merv Takis ran the Squaw Valley side and Bill Kane ran the Spanish ranch side and they were two great cowboys that could take a crew of kids and pretty rank horses and get a lot done. You know, they get they just, they, outside all the time, no pickups and trailers, you trotted everywhere. And they were just uh, phenomenal men at taking a big bunches of the cattle with a very short crew and getting a lot of work done. I, I, they, I learned a lot from them that helped me a lot later in life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Merv and I one time, we were, it was about the 15th of May and we were just starting a spring wagon and everybody quit. We had a crew and then a cowboy named Charlie Smith that was just a phenomenal cowboy, but he'd liked, he'd liked to drink whiskey and uh, a lot of it. So Merv got mad at him and fired him. And somehow the crew all quit. And we, here we are, we're starting. We've got 4,000 calves brand, and there's two of us. And I thought, well, there's nothing we can do. The next day, we went out, we made a little circle, and put about 50,000 calves in a trap, and we started branding calves. And we did that for about a week.
0: 50 head at a time? Yeah.
1: So I told Merv, I said, this is this is crazy. We're never going to get this done. And he says, well, we've been going seven days and we've got about 350 done. <laughs> so he says, help will show up or we'll just keep working at it. And the thing I learned is, you know, the way you eat elephants one one bite at a time and Merv was just, he if if I'd have quit too, he'd have went out there and figured out a way to try to do it himself. And, you know, a couple of weeks, people started showing up and we were, you know, back to getting a lot done. But he would just keep, keep his head down and just keep at it, you know, and he would get it done. That always impressed me about him.
0: Yeah, that's neat. I bet that was a cool experience too because not very many guys on an outfit like that probably would have had that opportunity to be one-on-one with somebody like him and learn
1: well i'll tell you if you messed up sometimes it wasn't fun to be one-on-one with him (laughs) um you you didn't have to be the best cowboy on the crew but it sure wasn't good to be the worst one
0: That's funny <laughs> uh. But,
1: uh, no great, great guy, uh, Merv was a great guy.
0: would he be at the top of the list of some of the greatest people you've worked for or ridden with?
1: you know, yeah, he would be on top I mean uh there's I've worked with so many good cowboys um I should be the greatest cowboy in the world because of the people I worked with. I mean, it it would be like if you went to Yale and your professors were Albert Einstein and Ronald (laughs) Reagan. And and I had that caliber of professors, and I still kind of turned out to be a a C-minus student. I don't know. How that happens but but, as far as going to college, I have worked around and had the best professors possible you know of people you could learn from.
0: Were you in Nevada for quite a while then
1: yeah, I spent you know off and on, I bounced around I went to Idaho, I went to Oregon um back to California, but mostly, gosh, from about the time I was 18 to, well, three three years ago, I was in Nevada mostly, back and forth through there for sure.
0: When we talked before you, um, you said something about um, learning a lot because you were able to go to all these different places where, like, you weren't just that... Home on the family deal your whole life, do you mind talking about that a little bit and how that was beneficial?
1: Well, I just think that you learn more the more you get around, which you learn different styles you know i so when I was in Nevada, you do things a certain way you come to like now I'm in Arizona, and it's a there's a learning curve to it. My ranch is rough and Fortunately, I've had some neighbors and uh a friend of mine from down on the border uh they've come up and helped me and and showed me a lot. I, a cowboy, a good cowboy or decent cowboy is a good hand where if you whether he's in Elko, Nevada or Australia, it, you know, Cows are cows, they do what they do, but some of the, so I guess when you sit in Nevada and you see an Arizona guy and he's got his short rope and his rubber on his horn and his swell fork saddle and a grazer bit and you kind of look and you, you know he's probably a good cowboy, but you go, God, I wonder why they do stuff like that, and once you get down into that country you realize there's a reason for everything they do and and working around you get to work with different I've worked with somebody from every western state and I've worked with a good cowboy from every western state and I've worked with a sorry cowboy from every western state so the best ones I always thought were the ones that had Got out and seen some things.
0: Is kind of my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. I really liked how you said that there was a reason for everything that they do. I feel like that's true, and that's often a lot of times overlooked.
1: Yeah, you like
0: know- whether you're talking about whether you're talking about a, a slick fork saddle or a short rope or. You know, like there's there's a reason that somebody started doing that in the first place. Um, well, if you just take the time to kind of understand.
1: Well, and don't get your brain stuck in this is the way dad and granddad did it, so it's the only way you can do it. You know, I've never been a tie-on man. My dad, he would not take down his rope outside unless it was tied on. He just, he was a tie guy and I just wasn't. And um, some people are really good at both. It just, uh, there's a reason why everybody does everything.
0: Yeah, that's true. Speaking of ropes, what would you say has been the funnest thing you've ever roped?
1: Without a doubt, Horses. In really? any way, shape, or form, whether it's roping horses in an arena at a horse roping or catching mustangs, uh, which I would never do because that's illegal, but they tell me <laughs> it's fun. Um, hmm. Roping, roping anything is fun. I think now the place I have roping. Roping wild cattle or catching something big is fun. It's it'd be a lot funner if someone else was there to lead it out for you, but um but I gotta say roping horses is the ultimate funnest thing I've ever
0: done. Really? Yeah. That's cool. I guess I've never even seen one. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos of the horse roping that they do, but
1: well, they're they're a lot of fun, and when you go up, oh, Elko, Idaho, or, you know Nevada, Idaho, Oregon, kind of in that circle up there, the, the Great Basin. That's it's kind of the premier. It's it's the pre. I mean, cowboys, rope horses, and team ropers, team rope up there. <laughs> um, I, it's. And there are some. Indi- it's kind of funny because you go to, oh, like a horse rope in McDermott or Waihee, Nevada, and and you know all the Indians that come out and cowboy, you know, around the country. But when you go on those reservations and you get in the horse roping, and you think, well, maybe I'll win some money today, and some. Indian guy will show up and I say this with the greatest respect too they've got a horse that's barefoot um, they're wearing a ball cap and tennis shoes and maybe they have long hair and a t-shirt on and they will just <laughs> clean your plow rope <laughs> and horses uh. and when you're there with your cowboy costume on it's kind of humili- humiliating <laughs>
0: And that just goes right back to what you were talking about before. It doesn't matter what you look like.
1: Yeah, it it, it really doesn't.
0: Oh, that's funny. Well, you, um, if we were to back up just a little bit, um, you're in Arizona now, right? Yeah. How, how did you end up there? And do you mind telling us a little bit about your operation that you have down there? Well,
1: when I was, oh, about... I've always, since I've been about 25, I've always owned a little bunch of cows. And then about the last 15 years, I really got serious about building cows. So I was leasing grass up there in Nevada from a place called Maggie Creek Ranch, which they really made me because... They never put a limit on the amount of cows I could run. As I built up, you know, I always could build and knew I had a place to go with them. And, but that deal, great deal, they've got a great manager, a guy named John Griggs. Um, The the old people that own that ranch were kind of fading away. And it was going to the newer generation, and you just, I didn't know how long that was going to last. And I and I always wanted a ranch and was always interested in Arizona. And a friend of mine, Charlie Gould, called me, and he said, are you still interested in a ranch in Arizona? And I said, yeah, if I could buy one. And he said, well, there's one coming up for sale that's really rough. But I think you're tough enough to make it work, and he told me about it, and that's how I ended up down here buying this place. That's cool. So now I'm in Arizona, and I came from the big open country to the steep, rough country.
0: (laughs) Do you prefer one over the other?
1: (sighs) at this point I think I'd prefer a place in Nebraska where I could actually put more than five cows together at one time but no I like it it's uh, the good thing about these Arizona deals is if no matter how tough it gets if you can just get a little tougher you can make it work you know if, if times are tough and cows are cheap you just dial it down and don't spend any money or any more than you have to. And a, a good wife that has a job in town helps a lot too. <laughs>
0: yeah. Speaking of your wife, is is this the kind of lifestyle that she was raised in? Was she already used to that well, kind of work or, somewhat or how was that for her?
1: She, she was raised in in Washington, um, Goldendale, Washington. And she, her folks kind of skirted around the cow business. And in fact, when I met her, she, her folks had a ranch in Denial, Nevada, and had bought it. And, and we're good people, but we're a little out of their depth. But, um, so she, you know, she knew how to ride and she, kind of had an idea, but um, so going a from a good,
0: adjustment.
1: well, is, yeah, but going from a kind of a real stable civilized family to marrying a cowboy was a kind of a culture shock for um, yeah. And then coming down here, she wasn't real keen on it. She's warmed up to it. But the thing about my wife, Becky, is no matter – she's always in my corner, no matter what corner I'm backed into. So I'm lucky that way.
0: Yeah, good for her. What would you say the hardest part about living the kind of lifestyle that you do has been – Oh
1: so I I guess my wife would tell you it's probably being remote. I c I don't see anything bad about it. It's it's good. I don't I don't have to deal with anybody much. I, yeah. I just kinda sit out there and do my thing. But it's hard it's a hard life for a wife, um you know, I've lived on ranches and we've lived on ranches and way out in the middle of nowhere and and I was having fun. I'm in the height of my glory. I get to be a big cowboy and talk <laughs> about riding bucking horses and catching wild cattle or or working cattle all day and yeah, she just puts up with it. I mean she's not out there having fun, but We've been able to raise our kids in a good spot, and and uh, you know, you open the door, the kids got the whole world to play in, and you don't worry about uh, you don't worry about your kids out on a ranch. They can go and run and and have a lot of fun. Yeah. So so there's give and take. You know what if you're on a ranch or you're cowboying or working cows, you're there's really nobody to hold your hand. You've got to go get it done and excuses don't cut it.
0: Yeah. Looking back throughout your life and throughout the different places that you have worked, do any memories in particular stand out to you?
1: Oh gosh, I so many that that I it' You can't count them, but I guess one memory that I, you know, it's now everybody has a phone or carries a computer phone that takes pictures or videos, but one time me and another guy named Kit Bachman were, we were working at Squaw Valley, and Squaw Valley had, they summered the main part of their cattle north of the, in the mountains and then the, those cattle a lot of them in the winter went down on the Humboldt River and and it was a dry year they didn't have much hay at the Squaw Valley where the main kind of the headquarters is so me and another guy trailed about 150 head of extra horses colts and brood mares and some older saddle horses and just stuff we weren't using down to the the uh, White House was on the freeway. Um, And we trotted those horses off of that over a pass, and there was old two-track pickup road that kind of snaked around down that pass, and it was just probably one of the neatest things i ever seen was all them horses were strung out single file, just following all them curves going down that mountain and I guess the neatest thing is it wasn't staged or anything. And at that time, it was just normal. And now I look back at it and I'll probably never see that again, you know, yeah. doing something for a purpose. And that amount of horses that were mostly just extra horses, they weren't, you know, there was still another hundred head of horses on that place that were being rode. So that was that's a pretty good memory. You
0: know? Yeah, that paints a pretty cool picture. Is there a particular breed that the ranch liked to use. Their the
1: horses? their horses were, uh well, Ellison horses were a, a breed on their own. They could trot. <laughs> they could trot forever. Um, they uh, they could buck they they would really buck most of them horses but they were like a standard bred thoroughbred with some quarter horse thrown in there okay. maybe a little bit of work horse they were a big stout really a trotting type of horse but a lot of, they had a lot of standard bred in them
0: just always curious that's one of the questions that I like to ask. Cause I feel like everybody's preference is kind of different when it comes to that.
1: well, you know, like in Nevada um, it's big country, and it's it's good trotting country, a lot of it you can trot in uh you know a good thoroughbred horse is my pick up there now I get down here to Arizona and the, the best horses I have are more of a shorter, stouter type of horse with a big foot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it it just works better. Down here, I'm either sitting on my rear end walking or I'm going as fast as I can go, worried that my horse is going to fall down. So... <laughs> um and it's real rocky my country is and a, just a good a number 2 footed horse or at least a number 1 with some bone under him is going to is going to hold up longer you know and then climbing steep country a stouter you know shorter coupled horse i think is just a a better deal
0: yeah so when you got down there was it just as rough as Charlie had told you about or did you feel like it was rougher
1: uh, it's not as rough now as when I first got it just because I've gotten used to it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's rough. I I don't know. I've got a friend, Ed Asherst. He says it's the roughest country he's ever been in and he's an Arizona guy. So I kind of take his word for that. <laughs> um,
0: he told a story on his um, he said he went and helped one of his friends. I don't know if it was you or not, but I have a feeling it might have been. And you guys came up on this rim, this really steep rim, and you could look down off and you could hear. Oh, shoot. What did you say you could hear? You could hear the stuff at the bottom that was like a mile away, but there was no way you could get off that rock face oh, to get down there.
1: Yeah, that was Martina's field in Turkey's Goblin.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: But uh, is
0: that on you, or where is that That's
1: at? on well Martinez field is not on me it's down in the river, but we were sitting in my country, looking down into the Martinez field, and it was that was almost straight off, almost vertical and but it was a good eight hundred nine hundred feet down to the river there well, wow. it was steep and but it it doesn't scare Ed.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: Ed wasn't born with the the fear gene that most people have.
0: <laughs> Where would you say the coolest place you've ever been horseback would be?
1: God, I I would have to say Connor's Basin on the Rafter Diamond, north of Death. Um. You get up there high in that basin and then there's just all these little meadows but they're high you know there, there would be a meadow little meadow on a bench and then drop down a couple hundred feet and there's another little meadow quakey trees that I don't know why but that place every time I've rode through that I've thought that it was the neatest place in the world
0: yeah that's cool what would you say your secret to success has been?
1: I don't know. I I need to see <laughs> some success first. But I think that the the secret is to I don't know to to simplify it. It's make a decision and live with it. Um. In the cow cowboy, and I think my secret to success is i I was tough, which you spell tough d u m b but <laughs> um i my secret to success was actually the great people I got to work around, and I mean great cowboys probably I believe that I've worked around the best cowboys in the world at different times i mean just great cowboys i i just that's your success and then probably in the ranching world would be uh make a decision and live with it and don't second guess yourself all the time and marry marry a good person if you don't marry a good person, you can never be a success in life. I like that. If you're on a ranch, um, you can't be married to somebody that's in town getting their nails done twice a week. <laughs> you know, you you just... It, and they've got to be in your corner.
0: Yeah. Which sounds like yours is. That's awesome that you guys can work so well together.
1: Well... We don't always work so well together. There's, <laughs> there's definitely been a little tension in the old prell sort cows a time or two.
0: Yeah, that's just, you know, that's going to happen though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, I just have one more question for you. I always like to ask people um, how they would define the word cowboy. In your words, what does that mean to you? So I
1: believe a cowboy is somebody that makes you living on a horse and um, working on a ranch. Um, I think a real cowboy is the one that uh, is in the right spot and not necessarily the one that's raising the most dust. You know, I've... I know so many guys that, uh, a couple of them, Jerry Souza or Shannon Brennan or somebody like that, that they almost are underrated because they never, you never see them or seldom see them running their horse as hard as it can go or making big moves because they were there before it ever happened. You know, to me that's a cowboy and a good one. Yeah, I like that.
0: They anticipated it a little bit so they didn't have to is that yeah, what you're saying?
1: Yeah, they're paying attention and they're thinking ahead of the game and they've got cow yeah. I cow is bred into you, I believe. You know, you can take a horse, you can take a draft horse. And you can spur him and get him to where he'll turn around enough to where you can work a cow on him, but you can never drop the reins and he'll just eat a cow like Doc's Tom Tucker will. <laughs> and uh, people are the same way. I've worked around kids that were green, came out of the city maybe 18 years old and had never really cowboyed, could barely ride. And, and by the end of a summer, boy, their help. And then I've worked around people that were seventy years old and have cowboyed all their lives and they're they're kinda of help, but they're not really great help. It's I I think it's just a matter of wanting to do it. So I don't know. I got long winded on what I what the question was.
0: No, that's that was perfect. Everybody always has a different answer, but it always blends together and is kind of the same concept so that was good I liked it um, is there I don't want to cut you off if there's any other memories or
1: anything else you want to share I, well I don't I don't really I've probably said all that's important and a lot of stuff that wasn't I'm just I feel like I don't know why I've been about a half a sinner most of my life, but why God blessed me to be able to do this for a living. But since He did, I guess I'm not going to complain. <laughs> this is absolutely the best life in the world. Um, I see people that work in the mine, they get up every morning hating the fact that they got to go to work, and 99% of the time, in my life, I've got up in the morning excited to go to work about what we was going to do. And if if you can do something that you enjoy, it's not even a job. It's it's just, it's. I've been fortunate my whole life. So.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate you visiting with me. It's been fun.
1: All righty. Well, I appreciate you and hopefully we'll get to meet you someday.
0: Yeah, hopefully. That concludes my interview with Luke Bomeister. If you like what you're listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Also, like always, to put a face behind the name, head over to our Instagram page. It's at Cowboy Stories underscore podcast. And I love to hear from you guys. So if you have any suggestions for other people to talk to or any recommendations for the show, please feel free to send me an email to cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.